Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 86 of the Citrix Session. I'm your host, Andy Whiteside. Got uh, got a normal cast of characters with me. Um, my daughter has to do her first podcast for something she's doing in school, and she asked me how to kick off a podcast yesterday. And um, I tried to use presentations with impact where you talk about, uh, you know, tell a story or make some bold statements. Um, and I just reminded myself, I don't do that on these podcasts nearly enough. And I guess my bold statement is this is number 86. And uh, that's, that's a heck of a lot of podcasts we've done so far with, with no end in sight. We're going to do, we're going to do a thousand before it's over. How's that, John? Is that bold enough? Uh, that sounds bold enough. And uh, I'm going to do the first hundred and John's going to do the next 900. Sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> I got John's attention. That worked. That's funny. Hey, uh, Bill, how's it going? Going well, thank you. You? Uh, it's, uh, you know, my weekend's over. Time to get serious again. I, I love it. Took me a few moments this morning to get going, though. Yeah, I get it. Um, ben Rogers, um, going to make fun of you for still being in the basement. Did you just not have time or wife shut you down? Well, no. Nah, so this is what's happened. Uh, I took my little boy mountain biking this weekend. And uh, my little boy had a little spill. So my son's upstairs all banged up from being in mountain biking. And I am uh, letting him have a little peace and quiet while I'm down here in the basement. So that's what's got me back here in the basement this afternoon. He didn't break anything, did he? No, thank God he didn't break anything. And like when we went Saturday and he had the spill, he got right back up. You know, he was like, ah, I don't want to really do this anymore. And I was like, I'm, I'm cool with that. And so Saturday, he was completely fine. And then we woke up yesterday morning. He was complaining about, you know, stiff neck, stiff back. And, of course, mom and I went into kind of panic mode. But we went and took him to an orthopedist, uh, you know, emergency care center. They x-rayed him. And essentially what it was was he just was death gripping the handlebar so much during the ride that that just kind of got his neck and his shoulder muscles all kind of wrenched up. So, uh He's upstairs right now, kind of chilling. Uh, we got to get him back to school tomorrow because he did miss a day of school today. But, man, very scary thing for a parent when your child wakes up and goes, oh, my neck and my back's not feeling quite right. And mm-hmm. uh, thank God for, you know, the emergency care clinics that are around in areas these days. And we could get him checked out yesterday. And uh, so just got to let him have a little R&R and get back to it. So two questions for you. One, uh is the wife upset at you? The mom? Maybe I should say the mom upset at you? So where I got an out on the mom, the wife scene was I took Luca to a mountain bike park. So I took him somewhere that, you know, was the, the equipment we rented was, you know, top notch. It was for the size of Luca. We didn't have Luca on a bigger bike than he should have been. He had all the pads that he needed. So uh, you know, mountain biking's tough, you know, and, and, uh, this was really our first experience with it at a mountain bike park like that. So at least I took him somewhere where it was safe and I, I couldn't have made it any safer for him. So was she mad at me for taking him? No, uh, she and I didn't realize that he would crash. And so she was a little bit, you know, upset by that, but being mad at me, no, if Luca would have been hurt a lot worse or would have broken something, probably be a little bit different story. But I think I'm getting I'm getting an out because he was just banged up. And I did take him somewhere that I couldn't have made it any safer than what I did. Right. And the fact that he's only six years old, that's that's not being held against you. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. Nah, he's he's 10 years old. So uh I don't know if I'll get him I don't know if I'll get him back out there. I think we'll have to go like visit the Lake Norman Park. And you know, I, I kinda I went big for our first trip, so I did realize that. Uh but no, I'm just thank God that nothing's wrong with him and nothing's broke. And uh it sounds like he'll get back on the horse one day, but right now he's looking at the horse like, I don't want anything to do with you. Well, bring you to my house. There's a really very, uh, very entry level park right behind my house. Oh, really? That would be awesome. Um, here's part two of that question, tying it back to technology. He's a, a kid. He's out of school today. Um, does the world of remote work all of a sudden or remote schooling allow, the, like, for example, we used to have snow days. In theory, we'll never have another snow day because, okay, we just turn on the remote uh, remote schooling. Uh, in this scenario, is is that a yay or nay? So this is really interesting. Um, my child's school bases a lot of their uh, assessments on Google Class. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of his assignments, a lot of his work, even though he's on-prem, it's being delivered through Google Class. So when they're in the class, they're interacting with the laptop, 
the teachers got them in Google Class, and this is what she's teaching from. So to your point, yes, today when I emailed the teacher and said, hey, Luca will not be in class today, can you send him his assignments? She simply emailed me back and said, everything will be posted in Google Class. He can follow along in Google Class just like he can if he was sitting in the, in the building. So uh, he'll be able to keep up with his assignments. Um, and so, yeah, man, technology has kicked in and definitely uh, filling in the gap of him not being there today. I find that interesting. My wife and I are having a debate. My son went off to college. I tried to get him to do an online planner. Um, my wife wanted him to write it down in a planner. He went to meet with his advisor and his advisor told him to write it down in a planner. Don't uh, don't use an online version. Um, it's interesting to see how old school turns into new school and and how, um, you know, where different minds are at. Neither wrong, but but different. So I have, I'll spin this back and we've got an interesting crowd here and and our listeners might be interested to this. Me, I'm still very much a paper person. Uh, When I go meet with customers, I don't bust out my laptop. I bust out my pad, my pen. And I feel like that if I did try to use electronics, it might take away from my listening skills. I might get distracted with something on the laptop. So I'm very much still a paper person. Now, where I have a weakness in that is that I wish I could get a lot of my, yeah, seeing the sexy unit there. Um, I wish I could get a lot of my paper notes into my OneNote. And sometimes I have to, I have to transcribe or I have to really make sure the books that I have are properly dated so I can go back and look at the notes from those meetings if I haven't met with a customer in a year or so. So uh, I kind of see the paper, but I've seen your little nice little unit. So for the crowd, how many of the guys on the call here are still paper-based and how many have made the electronic switch where they can dictate and write and it go in something directly like OneNote? So personally, I, I still have the notebook next to me. So when I want to take those quick notes, I, I jot them down, just highlight it as I go along. Um, sometimes it depends. I, I may be digital, but... Uh, most of the time, it's my little handy-dandy notebook. Um, I, I come from a different background. You know, I grew up in the Marine Corps, so we were always told, have your brain nearby you, and that's what you called your little notebook. You took your notes whenever you were in classes or whatever, you had your brain. So I, I even tell my kids, keep your brain nearby, you know, because sometimes it's just, it's quicker to jot it down, at least for me. It's quicker to jot it down and then transfer it later on. I'll let Bill go next because my answer is going to be a little bit long and drawn out. Mine is a little bit of both, um, probably mostly still written, but uh, because my handwriting is so poor, I do a lot of uh, I do a lot of electronic as well. But I don't use any of those tools that try to none of those tools that scan your handwriting and translate it into uh, into digital form will work with my handwriting. So, um, like I said, I, I I have a book and I do write things down, um, but a lot of times, like if I'm doing one on ones with my team. I'll have it digital and I'll type in there as we're talking as opposed to writing. So I'm kind of in a hybrid, I guess. So Ben, my answer is it goes back to my first days in sales at Citrix. Um, literally the, the guy who ran our department was talking and I had out what's called a red fly, which John and Bill may remember, which was a uh, little Android device that would let you talk to talk to Citrix. It was like the precursor to all this. Uh, I was taking notes and he came over and told me to shut it and said that uh, in meetings, you don't, you have to use pen and paper. Um, and then, so I tried to use that as my, my, uh, my, my go forward path. And then I would go to meetings and everybody else in the meeting would have out their laptop. And then I just got to the point where I would ask, is it okay if I take notes here? Um, because it's you know better for me to keep it. Uh, at the same time, I've kind of moved into that and I've got tablets all over the place and I'm getting ready to order a new surface pen. I need to, mine's broken. Um, but I've got a little notebook on my desk back behind me. Here's the, here's the kicker for you guys and where I really struggle. I have this little notebook that I leave at my desk to jot down notes. Um, I have people that come in and out of my office, cleaning crew, employees all day long. I can't secure that notebook. So I have to go to an online format or some type of digital format going forward. Uh, or I had to make sure I never write anything important in that notebook. You don't have a lock on the drawer? Thanks, gentlemen. <laughs> I don't. I don't even know where the keys are to these drawers, and if I had it, I would lose it. But uh, you're not wrong. But no, I got you. 
if I if I can, and, and part of this comes from my daughter who has a learning challenge, but very smart. Um, she started taking notes in OneNote a couple of years ago, and she's amazing. Like I could, she could do consulting on how to take notes in OneNote. Uh, I think that's the big challenges for the Bins and the Bills and the Johns of the world. How do you get proficient at taking notes in OneNote? Uh, and I think there's an element of that that could be consulted into all of us. We need to have her on as a podcast, Andy. That'd be an excellent podcast to have for our users, even though it's not technically tied to Citrix. I'm sure a lot of people out there struggle with what we do because I would love to have to get away from the paper and pad uh, because I feel like one, it gets left on my desk and I don't have it. And then I don't have to, to it to reference to. And then two, you know, we're a technology company. We're technology people. I do feel it's a little bit of a weakness of mine not to be in a fully digital environment. So um, I understand my weakness, but man, habits are hard to change. Yep. Well, guys, for today's topic, uh, we talked about covering um, the uh, the Citrix uh, release of uh, the workspace for uh, August. Is it workspace service, workspace app? I got to go pull up the article. We were so busy talking, I forgot to pull the article up. Yeah, it's just workspace overall. Okay. And so when we talk about that, we're talking about the workspace service and we're talking about the um, the workspace on-premises piece that, that goes somewhat hand in hand. So with that, I'm pulling up the article now. Um, it starts off by talking about uh, you know organizations seeing shift to hybrid work and how important it is to uh, digitize paper-based process for end users. Did you guys know that was going to be the first topic that we just covered without even knowing? Yeah, we kind of bled into it, man. We segued into it. Yeah, set me up. I don't know. I think so that's dumb luck, to be honest with you. Uh, <laughs> I kind of agree. Yeah, yeah well, but, but we were going to ride it. Bill, yeah, we, we could ride, ride it, it but let's be honest. Come on. So that, well, let me that let me go back to the like, intro. Look, we come, we've talked over and over and over and over again around um, around the, uh, the the fact that uh, workspace that we live in a hybrid work world at most. It's going to be at least hybrid, if not full remote or on prem some, but full remote uh, remote for a lot of people at least part time. Um, ben, jumping into the first section here with the uh, the workspace announcement here, digitized paper based process. Well, hold on, let me start back up. August. Here's the name of the blog. Uh, what's new with Citrix Workspace Infer as a service on premises at that moment for August 2021? We talked about the hybrid world, and then we jump into digitizing paper-based process. Ben, is that something you want to jump on and help us understand why Citrix is calling this out? Well, what's, what, the, what we're really enhancing here is the right signature part of Citrix uh, files. So we're given the ability to have a signature there and to send that out, and that's going to help in workflow. I mean, I talk to a lot of people where, you know, law, real estate, uh, man, I'm looking at refinancing my house. So I'm actually using some of these tools in my daily life. So it's just, again, you know, how do you take the paper and get rid of the paper and still have things like signature and be able to validate that that was signed? And that's what we're introducing with this feature here to Citrix Files. This is so funny to me because I work with a large, I have worked in the past with a really large bank that's my primary bank. And they would send me a secure email asking me to send back in plain email my financial documents. And it drove me nuts. I could not understand why they didn't have an online transfer process that was secure. And even better yet, a workflow that was secure. Mm-hmm. Um, so you got John Spallone, uh, who's a sales engineer at Zintegra. John is learning the Zintegra ways and hopefully starting to send out uh, statements of work documents via right signature for review and for signature. Uh, and then you got Bill Sutton, who's the director of services, who's responsible for signing those. Guys, are we are we Zintegra using this efficiently ourselves yet? I'll jump in here and say, uh, for the most part, yes. Um, you know, most of the statements of work and other other uh, contractual documents that, that I see come to me for signature in right signature. Um, are we using the workflows? Probably not to the extent we could, but I do receive the a lot of the documents that I have to sign from Right Signature. I, and when I do occasionally get one that is just sent to me, I ask the person that sent it to send it via Right Signature because it's just a lot simpler. And then I have a full record of it in my share file or Citrix files. Sorry. So, so Bill, that's that's an improvement over the way it used to be, right? Correct. But my question was intentionally a two-part question. 
the workflow where we have the end user reviewing it and, and, and making changes or making suggestions or negotiating it, that part's still happening old school back and forth email, isn't it? Pretty much, yes. And, and so we've got to get better at that. John, are you, um, were you doing this when you were at Citrix? Have you seen us doing a decent job of it or do you have a bunch of stuff you want to fix over here? Yeah, I think, I think uh, the mindset of the using of the workflows and the documents within, I, I think that's spot on. But yeah, their workflows itself, not just from a customer facing, but even a, a back door or back, uh, back house use needs to be implemented a little bit more. And we've, we've actually had, not you and I directly, but my team members and I have had some conversations about trying to get more workflows in, in place today to assist us. So we know where documents are status-wise. If we have to jump in for one another, we can track the document history. Yep. So John, would you say the goal here is more efficient, more secure, and more more um, document history and be able to get back to it? Are those, are those the three things or are there more than that that we want to accomplish? I, for, for me personally, I think that's those are the three key things. Um, the efficiency will lead into more security just because of understanding that's the process flow of the document and how it works. Uh, and that's going to lead into making sure there's more security once we get to the customer facing side of that document. Right. It been, um, if we were to click go on this video, is there something specific in the workflows that Citrix is enabled uh, or is it just more and more tightly integrated than it was? Well, I think what they're doing is they're just making the product a lot more streamlined. And we're also looking at what are other, you know, file competitions out there doing. So the right signature thing was a big thing for us. We're also looking at, you know, can we, can we, you know, collapse the documents into one thing that can be sent out? So uh, what is the verbiage they use here? A, a document packager. So we're getting, you know, like example, I'm going through my uh, refi now. Well, <clears throat> I had to have my W-2s you know, my uh, proof of employment, social security stuff. So there was a lot of things that I had to send over to the bank. And this would have helped me kind of consolidate that where I wasn't sending four or five things over and that poor gentleman on the other end having to get all these emails from me. So again, I think it's just more of an efficiency standpoint of can we make the workflows, the signatures just easier and adapted into the workflow of an employee or a user. I think it's pretty neat though that, you know, we spend a lot of time talking about workspace. And for us, we kind of go to the core product. And we don't get to spend a lot of time talking about, you know, the the the, the spokes of our product. So, man, I've seen Citrix files kind of come up in, a, in conversation a lot here of lately. And I see endpoint management coming up a lot here lately. And, you know, just again, Citrix is just building out that total solution where we can go wall to wall with you and incorporate a lot. So I think this is a big stance where users were like, yeah, like uh, Citrix files, it does this very well, but it's missing this and this and this. This is allowing us to close that gap where users can feel more comfortable to go wall to wall with Citrix. And so Ben, we have Office 365, we have uh, Citrix files, content collaboration, this, the workflows that are being added to this, that's the big differentiator for me versus OneDrive um, because Citrix knows they've got a lot of things they can accomplish through workflows. Are you seeing organizations that are trying to use both? But And, and how does what Citrix is doing to solve specific business challenges, um, how does that come up in your conversations? Well, so we're having some conversations with healthcare where we want to do things like the EMR has a lab report and that lab report's being dropped into a folder for review. And so we're now starting to look at things like, can we have an API that notifies the doctor inside of workspace that he has a lab report inside of files and go get and go and look at that lab report. And then once he does something with that lab report, there might be another workflow that actually moves that into the EMR. So with the API integration with some of this, we're starting to be able to talk about some interesting things that will affect workflow. And it'll be a combination of all the products working together. So again, one, one way I could see this happening is a doctor's out of working out of workspace, the API intelligence configuration is on, and we're sending him notifications of saying, hey, you've got lab reports. You've got documents that need to be signed before they can be processed for insurance 
uh, purposes. And so you're starting to see a lot of those conversations come down the pipe and that's getting people's wheels turning, you know, what, what's out there that we can do that will make our workflows better. Yep. Yeah. We're actually doing some development work with a company called Vasion, um, who now is printer logic and uh, Maxor combined. And this is the type of stuff I keep telling them that customers are looking for and for them to work closely with Citrix to accomplish some of the basic functions and then add functionality on top of that. Um, the next section of the blog talks about the workspace app, which anytime I hear somebody say workspace, I often stop them and say, you got to be specific. What are you talking about? Workspace service, workspace on premises, workspace app for Microsoft, Mac, iOS, Linux. Uh, I actually was on a call with Google this morning talking about uh, for Chrome OS, which actually is one of the ones not listed here. However, uh, I know that's making big strides there. Um, let's talk about the very first one here. Um, John, I don't know if you've read through this and have this uh, covered, but Citrix Workspace app for Windows, what specifically is, is Citrix um, alluding to in the blog here that's advanced? Uh, so really what it's, it's one of the biggest things I see is the inactivity timeout um, for the Windows sessions. We're talking about the Windows side first, correct? Yeah. Uh, yes. And I do want to yes. jump into inactivity timeout because that's a big one. That's especially for thin client, remote thin client users. So people coming in remotely to the gateway, having that timeout has been a, a, a huge missing piece. Yeah. Yeah. So it looks like uh, we're getting into that. And I, I'm not sure I'm trying to confirm right now. I believe that one, is, that feature is GA because I know some of the features in these um, are in preview like the custom web stores is in tech preview. So, um, so John, let yeah, me, let me highlight that one a that. little more because I've had some firsthand consulting experience where, okay, if I'm using a, a thin client operating system, um, forget about the hardware, but thin client operating system, I need to be able to control at the gateway how long before the, the app, the workspace app times out. Um, if I'm going through a web browser, that's always been dual, right? I could time out the web yes. page, but I couldn't time out the workspace app. And so somebody logs in, then they go to lunch for three hours anybody could you know, come up behind them and log into their system and more than likely not even have to be not authenticate again at all, right? Yes, yes. Um, we're, we're, what it looks like is we're essentially taking what we've been able to do uh, time-wise from a session, the actual connected session, and now applying that to the app itself. So being able to, you know, un unlog or unlog, uh, you know, kick that user out after an extended amount of time that we declare. And that, that works out key, too, when you talk about a lot of um, customers that'll have a shared workstation. Or when you talk about manufacturing and uh, distribution, a lot of those may have a shared session device that's sitting out in a open public area when user logs in. And this will keep from allowing them using one account. Yeah, and where I ran into this, um, some of the zero client vendors had a timeout yeah. that they made happen but it wasn't Citrix. It was the, the zero client vendor doing it. Uh, and then when you opened it up to maybe a, a, a thicker OS, like thin OS, all of a sudden you didn't have that capability and, and everybody was struggling because it was in the thinner, it was in the zero client, which is really a very small client, but it wasn't in the thicker thin client, if that makes sense. Um, yes. So, uh, so my comment, Ben, to Citrix on that is that's awesome. I need that in uh, I need that in the Linux version as soon as possible. Hey, Andy, I uh, highlight the bottom part of this with the Azure Active Directory. You know, man, we talk about Azure a lot, and and I'll be the first to admit that I know enough about Azure to be dangerous. But this feature here, where it seems like we're being able to do more with Azure Directory join machines versus traditional AD machines. Uh, Give me an idea of really where this is going to hit home. I, I'm not sure if I understand perfectly, you know, where this is going to be a benefit outside. It feels like we're building more with Azure. seems like we're doing more with the domain machines that are Azure based only and not traditional uh, active directory. But again, I'm kind of scratching my head here. So if one of you guys could clarify this. I would love to have the gap filled. Oh, Ben, you've come to the right spot. <laughs> All right. So on my desk behind me is a iGel-based uh, laptop. Uh, beside that, I have a uh, Google Chrome uh, laptop. And over here on my desk, I have a Microsoft 
um, Surface tablet. We got a lot of options and Zintegra has more options than most people have. Uh, but what we are standardizing on going forward is a Microsoft operating system endpoint because we have a lot of knowledge workers that need local execution and they need what's in the cloud via Citrix for us. Uh, but I need them under control. So I've got two new people starting this week. Uh, they've been told to go out and buy whatever they want. Zintegra will reimburse you for that. Um, but it needs to be running a Microsoft operating system. And you need to have your Zintegra credentials before you log in the first time. Because uh, you're going to log in on that very first time you turn it on. It's going to ask you, is this a corporate device or organization or is this a personal device? You are to choose corporate device and you are to log in via Intune, Azure Active Directory, and that device via the proxy of that Zintegra user ID will become Azure AD joined and Intune managed. That's interesting. So you're getting to the point where at rollout, you could send a plain Jane Windows device to a user, and because you're having it log in with Azure AD, you then can implement the Intune policies and all the security you need to, to maintain and manage that device. Yes, slightly different. We don't send them anything. We tell them, go buy whatever you want. We'll reimburse you. It just needs to be running Windows. Uh, and then you're to join the Intune environment, Azure AD, and we will push Office 365 to the device and the Citrix Workspace app for Windows. John's sitting there looking at us like, I started a month ago. We didn't have that in place a month ago. <laughs> well, I, I pretty much run the way I've always run, where... You know, I've got my Microsoft Surface Book and I connect in, I use my local credentials. And then pointing out here, they're talking about the Windows Hello. Uh, I know the FIDO2, that's that's in tech preview. But from a, a Windows Hello standpoint, um, you know, on my laptop, I allow my daughter to use it every once in a while when she has to log in for school. Yeah. And she has Hello enabled for facial recognition, whereas I just have pin access. So now it's looking at passing those credentials on through yeah. the workspace app. Yeah. So John, if you were joined to Intune, like I'm talking about here and Azure AD, someday you would be able to look at the Citrix workspace app and it would authenticate all the way through and you wouldn't have to type in anything. Uh, maybe you have multi-factor or something, but yeah, you'd be able to use it seamlessly because of the way you did it. You set up a personal, you did a personal and then you access us remotely, which is fine, mm -hmm. uh, but it's not as seamless as we would want it eventually. Then so that Andy, real world me, use case help? Yeah. Now let me ask you this, just cause I, uh, you know, Windows endpoint, there's some, there's some vulnerability there. What are you, what are you using to kind of tie those loose ends up? You know, are you deploying antivirus to these units or how, how are you, how are you closing that gap with the vulnerabilities that are introduced by having a Windows endpoint? Well, so step one is to get it into Azure AD and into instead of what I can set password policies and I can enable security. Uh, then we have antivirus that we would push from there in order to make sure the device has AV or it's not allowed to talk to us. And certain update policies. That's awesome, man. And, and keep in mind, yep. this is all being applied to a BYOD world. Right. Well, I mean, and that's what I was just fixing to say. You're really starting to see... Uh, cloud birth with the, with these types of solutions. Companies don't have to do anything on-prem. They can start out in the cloud day one. Yep. As long as you've got Windows 10 and I can tell you it updates when I tell it to update, I've got a, I've got a better security. There's, there's a lot of people out there that would argue that not being part of a domain is more secure. I can't take that chance anymore. I've got I've to force some level of control even in a BYOD world. All right, Bill Sutton, you're my my Mac user, right? Yeah, right. No, you're the Mac user. You're the Mac user. Um, or used to be. I love the hardware. It's it's beautiful hardware. It is. It I is. do have to jump on every once in a while and, and play with a little bit to keep my skills up to date, mostly related to my kids' stuff. Um, John, uh, Bill, I'll just let you handle it, though. The what What is Citrix announcing here with the Workspace app for Mac? Uh, it basically looks like uh, what they're doing here is the they're they're creating uh, the opportunity to discover the maximum trans transmission unit or MTU as part of the the EDT protocol, which is the UDP the the um, UDP based uh, connectivity that's allowed between the endpoint device and the um, and the their published app or desktop 
Yeah. Uh, this basically allows allows you a better user experience um, than the traditional TCP, although it will fall back to that. But it looks like now we can tune that on a per user basis um, with a with a Mac, which was not something we could do before. But this is really all about improving the end user experience, leveraging a protocol that is leveraging the traditional protocol over UDP, which is uh, inherently um, more efficient, I guess, particularly as it relates to audio video. I don't. I don't know if efficient is yeah. the right word. It, it, it's much more understanding. It's much it more uh, forgiving. Is the forgiving. right word. That's right. Yeah. This this is targeting voice over IP and some of the problems we've had getting voice over IP to work in you know in an optimized environment. Yep. Because VoIP is one of the greatest examples of UDP. Yep. Because um, you don't care what Bob said five minutes ago. You care what he's saying right now. Well, that and just with the pandemic and the work from home strategies, you know, this is something that companies really have struggled with of how do we get call agents out to their house without using VPN, without using extra hardware. And so we've seen a lot of customers that have tried to do voice over IP implementations in a work from home environment and have not been successful. And so I clearly see this being a stance of trying to, you know, help those scenarios out by introducing this, MTU with the EDT protocol. So here's a here's a wild question for you guys. You guys remember when we covered this on the podcast for Windows, the workspace app for Windows? It's been a while. It's been a while. But ballpark for me when you say a while, quantify that. Oh geez, probably a year, maybe maybe a little bit less than that. You think so? I I think it's only been like three or four months, which is highlighting the fact that they do what they do, Citrix in Windows but is somewhat closely followed by the other players, in this mm-hmm. case, uh, the Mac app. Yep. I'd be curious to know how long it's been. I don't think it's been a year. I think it's, well, it could be. It's all flying by so quick. Yeah. All right, Mr. Spallone, Captain Linux. What's Citrix talking about here? I just gave you a new yeah. nickname, by the way. Oh, okay. Thank you. I appreciate that. And thank you also because I don't support Mac. Um. <laughs> Bill just got lucky. Or Bill got uh, unlucky. <laughs> okay. um, so it looks like uh, what we've got here is the content redirection for Chromium is uh, available for Linux. And it looks like what we're able to do is to redirect redirect from the ICA session itself to the endpoint. And, and again, this is enhancing the performance. And then, Ben, back to your point about the... Uh, Teams and the multimedia being able to enhance the performance and playback capabilities of that in a Linux session itself. How much do you think the fact that IGEL has now included Chromium in their base OS had an impact on this happening? I think that's a good possibility. <laughs> a very good one there. Yeah, what I'm getting at there is Citrix really needs these endpoint operating system providers to play along, and Citrix has to play along with what they need to work as well. Um, again, spoke to Google this morning. I think that relationship's stronger than ever in terms of uh, you know making sure they have what each other needs to have a successful, happy end-user experience. Hey, Andy, can we can we talk about, and I'm not an expert at browser redirection. Again, it's one of those things I'm trying to learn as fast as I can. But can you guys talk about the security play with this? What does the browser redirect in this Chromium embedded framework, how does that enhance the security play for an organization? I, I've heard that there's a security play here, but I'm not sure if I understand it. And yeah, I'd be interested to hear what you guys have to say about that. I don't know we're talking the same topic. To me, redirecting to the local browser gets it out of the virtual desktop and using the local browser to actually um, to do the, the rendering, I guess maybe in theory there is because now you're taking what could have been maliciously used in the virtual desktop and having it execute on the endpoint, which maybe the endpoint's a read-only version of uh, Linux like iGel, and it does have a security benefit. But for me, this isn't a security conversation. This is a end-user experience. The fir- you mentioning it as a security play and me thinking through it, it's the first time I've ever thought of it that way, but I, I guess I couldn't argue that they're not right, Bill. Yeah, there is, you know, certainly there's a security play here. The, the question is, um, what can they do with the content once they it's redirected? What, what do you think, John? 
you know, I think the the security aspect of this is very, very thin connection. I think it's there. Um, I think about this more of, gosh, going back to the ICA back in the day yeah. uh, with initial VDI of allowing that that redirection of that content down to the client device versus on the back end, saving on our back end infrastructure, all of the uh, processing there. It's now being rendered down to the client itself, which which just enhances that user session. You know, Andy, you remember from way back in the day when we would do that in demos, um, yeah. we'd do the lunch and learns and you would actually show, hey, I'm going to pull up this video on YouTube and play it here in the session versus doing content redirection and seeing the performance difference uh, there playing out for the user. Yeah, I'm, I'm more old school than that. I thought Windows Media Player redirection. Oh, okay. <laughs> hey, John, but I will challenge you on that because I had exactly the same thought you just said out loud. And then I started thinking about the fact that this is being redirected content into a read-only version of Linux. All of a sudden, the security piece kind of did pop up in my head a little bit. Yeah, I, I, again, I think... I think it's a stretch. I do think a lot of people out there today like to throw security around for everything they do, just because it's a catchword when you're talking to C-level, when you're talking to management level, they love to hear that security word in there. I, I, I do see your point with it. It's just, for me, it's a, it's a very huge stretch to say, make the argument more of a security versus an actual user more about the user experience. Yeah. User experience, enhancing yeah. user experience. So I'll try one more thing. John, put your consulting hat on. You would have said what you just said. Put your sales guy hat on. I think you hit on it. <laughs> yeah. A little bit of a stretch, but it does make That's a little bit too. Oh, it's security 100% because we're getting that content out of the data center down to the user. So manipulation <laughs> happens at their endpoint versus ours. So yeah, there you go. Both hats. All right, Ben, did we get you? I think so. You know, I mean, uh, uh, it's interesting to hear. I mean, I definitely agree that it's definitely a performance enhancement. It's going to, it's going to increase the user experience. Like I said, I've had some people in the circle say because of the embedded browser and the content redirects that we could have a security play here. But again, that's why I asked you guys, cause I hear that and I kind of scratch my head and go, Hmm, I never thought of it that way. Excuse me. Thought of it that way. But I like the idea of the lockdown browser. There's limited things a, a hacker could do if they did get into the session. So I would say there's a little bit of a security play with this. I, it, to me, as I think to it more, it's almost like, uh, you know, you have the secure browser service, which is a Linux machine running Chromium in Azure. It's like the opposite. It's it's the, uh, I don't want to say inverse of that, but it's it's the local play for that same story. Yeah, I agree. All right, Ben, uh, Citrix Workspace app for HTML. Before you jump into what you're announcing here, can you just hit our listeners with what the uh, HTML Workspace app is? Because many, many, many people are confused. So I, I'm, I might join that crowd here. When I think of Workspace app from HTML5, I'm thinking of you're using it from our web page and we are delivering that experience to a browser versus a uh, application that's actually sitting on your device. Uh, and so one of the things I have seen with this is we've had a lot of users go, I want to get out of the business of deploying workspace. I don't want to, I don't want to have to do that. So we're leveraging this technology to go, okay, send devices out there that have nothing of Citrix on them and bring them to a website. And we'll allow that experience to be done via HTML5 versus the uh, application that's actually sitting on the desktop. Yeah, you got it right. Um, I talked a while ago about using Intune to push out two things, um, Office 365 local install apps and the Citrix Workspace app. In theory, I could just let the uh, the Microsoft Edge, which is a Chromium-based browser, be my HTML5 receiver for Citrix even. I just know I'm going to be giving up something along the way, like some of the offloading of Teams and things like that, which in my world I can't do. Uh, however, for a very lightweight use case, I can. And it's not unusual to walk into a hotel lobby and see me working from the lounge there using HTML5 receiver or workspace app. Now, I I, uh, I I spin this back to the group. I believe that there are some limitations with this, especially when you get into like USB, USB redirect. So there, there, this hits a home for specific things, but you know, it's not like that you're going to be able to come in and get rid of workspace app everywhere. So 
I lean on this where I think it makes sense, but if people are doing a lot of, you know, USB redirect or they need the optimizer, um, I'm like, we need to go with the app. So Bill, what's your number one limitation or weird thing that happens when you use the HTML5 workspace app? Um, well, to be honest, probably some, probably something that end use, normal end users shouldn't be doing, which is like cut and paste between the endpoint and this like cutting and paste a URL or something. It's a two or three step process to do that in the yeah. HTML5 where it's it's seamless in the workspace app. John, do you have anything in the work in the uh, HTML5 receiver that uh, you run into every once in a while and kind of turn your nose up to? Uh, not not really. I mean, the only thing I would actually point out, I think it's telling if you look specifically in the yeah. HTML5 release, the input languages in Chinese, Japanese, or Korean. Um, I think that tells you right then and there what what the focus is for the HTML5 client mm-hmm. and, and deployment as far as markets are concerned and usability out there. Yeah, that's an interesting one. Look, I didn't really think about it that way, but markets that uh, that are uh, you know on the horizon, markets that are uh, up and coming, are markets that you just may not have the ability to deploy any apps to, and you just have to rely on the HTML5 app that you assume is already there. You know, we're, we're, we have a lot of cl- the one we have a lot I of clients that want to get out of G is printing. Yeah, that was another. Uh, yeah. It works, but it's weird because you print to a PDF and then print from the PDF to whatever your local printer right. is. Right. Hey, but I but I don't want to use this ep, this ver this portion of the call or or, or recording to to beat Citrix up. The fact this thing works as well as it does and gets me out of pinches here every so often is <laughs> it's valuable, no doubt. Well, we have a lot of clients that, like I said, they want to get out of the application deployment. They don't want to have apps sitting on their endpoints. So for clients that, you know, do want to do everything in, in an HTML format, this fits the need for that. And, and I think it's great. I think it will help us. But again, I, w- I like to go into it going, this is cool. This will fit a need, but there are some limitations to it. And I think it's interesting that it's brought up the languages that this is being brought, this is being developed for. I didn't notice that in the article, but uh, I thought that was kind of interesting. And I wonder if a lot of that is because to the point of they're not going to be able to do a lot of deployment over there. Yeah. Uh, they'll have to do more things native to the device that they have. And so, John, that's a good point, man. I, I didn't notice that. All right, I'm going to let uh, John and Bill battle out this one, um, Citrix Workspace <laughs> app for iOS. But let me start by asking both of them a question. Ten years ago, if I walked into a customer and I was trying to whiz-bang them and show off, what was the device I had in my hand that I was trying to show them I could use with Citrix? It was the iPad. It was the iPad, right? Ten years ago. <laughs> Ten yeah, years ago. Yeah, probably the iPad. Yeah. Ten years ago. I remember, my, I remember I was in a meeting. My salesperson... Uh, left and went and bought an iPad at Best Buy and brought it back so I could demo it right in front of the client in a meeting. Um, it's, it's interesting. This one's here. We don't. We just don't talk about it that much. Is it because it's just matured to the point it can do what it can do, or is the uh, is the iPhone iPad use case reached uh, somewhat its upper limits? I mean, I think that this this one, I think it's largely reached. Well, I don't know if it's reached its upper limits, but it's getting close. But this is really something that, you know, if you think about it, if you want to do a uh, you want to do like a, uh, you know, a Zoom call or or uh, like we're doing now or Teams call or something, you can do that from an iPad or an iPhone if you really want to. But if you're in a Citrix published desktop or published or published desktop and you want to do the same thing, you won't get audio video until you have this latest version of the receiver. So this is kind of extending the whole remote use case for a, a, a virtually hosted desktop to a, an iPad or an iPhone. Hey, real quick, I meant to call out at the beginning of this that every time somebody said the word receiver, we would have to put a dollar in receiver. Yeah. Did I say receiver? Oh, well, yes, okay. you did. Oh, All right, well. Ben, uh, sorry, Bill, I'm John, same question. It used to be all about iPad, iPad iPhone, um, what, how important is it these days that we talk about that? I mean, do people just get it or, or do we need more features or what? Um, I, I think there's, you'll see the theme throughout everything here in this blog. It's all optimization, especially as it's wrapped around multimedia. Your redirected calls, you know, VoIP, all of the releases for this month are, are focused on enhancing for that 
that personal touch, digital touch, like we're doing right now. I, I think it's still there. Um, there's a big market of users out there that it's an iPad's good enough to go for them. And I mean, let's be honest too, when it comes to Apple, they have control of that hardware. So it's easier to develop for than, you know, the whole Android Microsoft world where there's multiple hardware platform chipsets that you got to account for makes it a little bit more difficult. So it's, it's an easy kick out for enhancements for that, that space of users. All right, Ben, as the guy who's meeting with maybe potential net new Citrus customers or customers that are in some evolution of what they're doing with Citrix, how much do they talk about iOS devices these days? I mean, they're out there where I really see this being a benefit to me personally in, in sales and working with healthcare is for telehealth. Um, you know, I think this is going to be big for telehealth because what this gives us the ability to do now is we can say to a doctor, come into workspace, come into a virtual desktop. And we can have the experience from that desktop and utilize the local hardware in the pad. So as I'm sitting here, you know, looking at this on the screen and hearing you guys talk about it, my mind keeps going to, I can't wait to get with some physicians and go, you know, what's your telehealth experience like? And can we make that better by incorporating them in the compass of, you know, the workspace app? So uh, I'm excited to see how my healthcare customers respond to this. Um, but that's where my mind went since we've been talking to it about it. Is, is this going to be a, a good telehealth play for me where I can bring more people into Citrix, secure their environment, but also be able to have them in a multimedia environment uh, that's been challenging in a Citrix environment uh, in the past. So I, I, I applaud this. Yeah. Well, it's good to see Citrix continuing to invest in the various platforms. Uh, they know the platforms are a big part of their ecosystem. Uh, all right, so look, I think we can get through this last section. We've got uh, about six minutes left. Citrix Analytics for Security. Ben, this is one of your babies. I know something you're uh, you enjoy talking about and interested in. You want to handle it? Yeah. Well, I mean, the biggest thing here is just the geofencing, and so uh, you know we've introduced geofencing to the security analytics platform, and what that'll be, you know, right now the geofencing is just based on countries. So some of the things we've seen our clients do is if a employee was to leave the country and now they're trying to get back into the environment, let's one, prevent them from getting back in until we authorize that. And then two, we've also created some, uh, some rules here that kind of come default with the security platform that are around the geofencing. I don't want to make any promises, but I have heard that the geofencing will get more granular some of the things my customers are asking me about, about geofencing is they'd like to have it if employees left the building and to, you know, disconnect their sessions or log their sessions out. And then that opens up the door to them having a different authorization access when they come back in remotely. So I'm glad to see we're starting to think about location. I'm glad to see that we're starting to be able to react with location. Um, I'm just excited that hopefully one day this will continue to get more granular where it won't be at a country level. It'll be at, you know, a geo level where I can say, if you're within this address or with your, within this physical location, let's geofence you. But again, getting better, bringing more to the product. And uh, in my opinion, bringing what our users are asking for, which is how can we limit access when we're not sure where people are at? Hey, look, I'll go on the record by saying this. I've uh, got a customer that's um, looking to leave Citrix, and they had we had some of these conversations, and I was trying to explain to them that, you know, for whatever the reason was for trying to leave, they need to recognize that Citrix continues to invest in the technology for what their users and their customers are looking for. Um, you, you can't fault, no matter, maybe you don't like your personal salesperson or whatever it is, um, the company itself still seems to be doing a lot of great things in some of the, the more basic pitch and catch areas where the company's made all made a big impact on business. Bill, would you agree with that? Yes, I would definitely agree with that. Yeah, this is a, this is a really solid feature. And, and John, you just came over from Citrix. Was that something you heard internally that look, this, the CVAD world has to continue to move forward. There's still plenty of, uh, plenty of, uh, I'm going to say windmills to attack, but that's a really bad, that would be the opposite thing to say. These are real issues to go try to conquer. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, one hundred percent. And I tell you, I, I I have a hard time geofencing. I keep on that term itself. I just keep on getting in reverse because we're geofencing for the organization versus a geofence warrant, <laughs> where we're actually dealing with a geo specific area. Hey guys, I, I think we're we're out of time, but this has been a, a lively and fun conversation. Uh, ben Rogers, anything else before we let you go? No, I just see the products getting better and better. Like you know, the enhancements that we brought in the month of August. You know, we're looking at doing more efficient things with our content and collab products. We're enhancing the workspace app where we're getting into things like trying to do better optimization of voice and video. And on the security side, man, security is a moving target. And I'm glad to see that the company that I work for is adjusting their product base to try to handle that target move. So, uh, man, I'm excited about the future. Uh, I love talking about Citrus to people. I love being part of this this group because I always learn something. So, Andy, I appreciate you having me on as I do every Monday. And, uh, man, look forward to the next one. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, just anything you can do to share this internally at Citrix. I think I think we cover a lot of good stuff that a lot of people in the company don't get the opportunity to talk about with other people. Exactly. Bill, anything from your end? Yeah, I, I, you know, it's funny. We do we've done these, you know, um, these podcasts relative to what's new in workspace for the uh, several several months, going back probably a year or more. Um, I always say the same thing, and that is that I continue to to enjoy the fact that Citrix is really investing in this in CVAD on-prem and CVAD service by you know improving the protocol, improving the delivery, making it more relevant, doing things with uh, you know doing things with the iOS like they've done here. So um, I'm really happy to see this continued innovation uh, and hope it can, and I suspect it'll continue. Yep. John, anything you're you're in? Well, geez, both those guys stole all the ammunition, so I'm going to back each of them on it. Um, but yeah, it really comes down to when you take a look at the theme, I think, for this month, it, it's all about that multimedia and getting the user acceptant to get into more of that Teams look and feel, Zoom feel within a client access, no matter their device. I mean, what was it years ago? Any any device, anywhere, anytime? Um I mean, it just, you, you totally see that now. So John, I'll change what you said slightly. Any device, anywhere, anytime, securely. Okay, I'll give you that. <laughs> that ties exactly into where I was going to leave us. Guys, thanks a lot. And I appreciate it. We'll do it again next week. Okay. Thank you.